Welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase to the body and the edifying of itself in love. I want to start by looking at verse 11 and preach on this thought. And he gave some. There's a comma right there. So we'll stop right there and title the message, And he gave some. The Bible tells he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. We're talking tonight about the church God's plan for this age is the church. And listen, you will go wrong immediately. You will go off track in a matter of seconds when you start to minimize the importance of the local church. Now, anytime we detract from or minimize God's perfect plan, we're already in trouble. God does everything in this age through the local church, and he had... An incredible plan. I am happy to be part of a local church, and I can't imagine life outside of a local church. Can you imagine living without your church, without the friendship, without the guidance, without the Christian school, without the programs, without the help, without the instruction? And that would be a bad place to find yourself. Amen? And some, because of Anger, frustration, bitterness, misunderstanding, miscommunication, taking things personal. At some point in life, they may find themselves outside of the local church, outside of that umbrella of protection. That is a tragic mistake. And if you're married and value your marriage, if you have children and you value your children, I would make that mistake. You need the umbrella of the protection that is provided by your local church. But here's what God's telling us. I just want to mention a few simple thoughts, a few simple things tonight. As we look at this passage, I want to mention, number one, that he gave some uh, pastors. That means God called certain men to be pastors. Did you realize that was God's doing? And I'll tell you what, anybody that's been pastor for more than six months would, would tell you straight up, there's no way you would call yourself to be a pastor. That's God's doing. That's God's placement. So God's called certain men to be pastors and given them the right gifts to fulfill that office. Now, let me just say this. 
as a pastor, there are duties that we are forced to do. Our main duty, look what it says, is the perfecting of the saints. Now, some have misread that. Some would even say in uh, the Greek, that is actually supposed to say the pleasing of the saints. But that's impossible. You can't please everyone. If you ran a church of three, you couldn't possibly please everyone, much less in a church this size. But God gave pastors, they're supposed to run, organize, help lead the church, and they're supposed to do it with this philosophy and this principle in mind, the perfecting of the saints. Now, that's more than just a positional perfecting. How many realize when you got saved, you got born again, your sins were washed away, you were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and in the eyes of your heavenly Father, you are perfect? How many of you realize that? Now, this text is not talking about uh, simply a positional perfection, but it's talking about a practical perfection, not a sinless perfection. But we're supposed to be maturing in our faith, and the pastor is supposed to be helping us do that. Several months ago, I came across an article, and they did a national survey about what your pastor could do to be the perfect pastor for you. And they compiled the list, put it together, and here's what they came up with, nationwide study. Number one, he must preach his sermons in exactly 32 minutes. Most of you are in favor of that. Some would say 22 would be better, but 32 will be fine. He must frequently condemn sin, but never upset anyone. Must work from 7.30 until midnight, seven days a week. Needs to serve as a church janitor, counselor, teacher, preacher. He must be satisfied making 300 per week, yet wear good clothes buy helpful books, and give 250 of that to help sustain the church. He should be 40 years of age, but have 50 years of wisdom and experience. He must be wonderfully gentle, yet keep everything running in, in an orderly fashion. He must give of himself completely, but never get too close to anyone, lest he be criticized. He must speak boldly on social issues, but never become politically involved. He must have a burning desire to work with youth, yet spend half of his time with the senior citizens of the church. He must make at least 15 calls daily to the church members, visit shut-ins, those in the hospital, yet spend most of his time evangelizing the unsaved and always be in his office when needed. Lastly, he should be able to prepare three or four inspiring sermons weekly in his spare time. Well, I nailed the 40 part. I've attempted to do the rest, failed on every single one of those points. But here's what we see, honestly, in a church setting. If we're not careful, we honestly think that everyone ought to be called in the ministry and everyone ought to enjoy that calling and everyone ought to understand that is the highest calling and anything that falls short of being a pastor simply puts you outside of the will of God. Nothing could be further from the truth. What did verse 11 say? He gave some apostles. Now, how many were apostles? Twelve. You can throw in the additional two, Matthias, which was Judas's replacement, and the apostle Paul. So maybe you could say there were 14. 
but of all the billions of people that have lived on this planet, that's very few. And he gave some preachers and some teachers. Now go back with me for just a minute to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. God's not called everyone to be a pastor, but he certainly has given every man a gift to serve within his local church. And here's the best thing you could do for your church and for yourself. Be satisfied with the gift and the calling that God has given you. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not of the hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I'm not of the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye. Can you imagine that? That would be disgusting. <laughs> now, in our hearts and minds, sometimes we think that way. We think... I'm the perfect example of God's gift to this church and everyone should think like I do and act like I do. Aren't you thankful for the way that we compliment each other? Aren't you thankful you have two eyes and two ears, one head? If you have an, an additional finger, if you count and you came up with 11, you're a monster. <laughs> Aren't you glad you don't have three legs? You ever seen anybody with two noses? You know how to get attention just go to the doctor and ask him to cut off, amputate one ear. You're going to be stared at for the rest of your life. It's just strange. The body's not complete without two ears, two eyes, a nose, a mouth, two arms, ten fingers, two hands. That completes the body. Now I want you to look around for just a minute. I want you to look at each other because here's what perfection is. Individual perfection, if we talk about the individual, we're talking about maturing as a Christian. But if we're talking about as a body, now we change directions and go to the subject of unity. Because that church-wide perfection is a perfect unity. That's what God wants to have. That's what God wants to create. So your gift ought to be used to create unity, not division. And if we would ever get to the point where we're all thankful, listen, God called some to be pastors and some to be apostles and some to be teachers and everyone has a varying gift. But God didn't make everyone the same. He made everyone, and thank God we don't just have one gift, but we have a combination of gifts and that's what makes each person specifically unique. No one can replace what Tony is to this church. Now, we may send someone else to fulfill his responsibilities, and we may put someone else in his prison ministry, but no one will do it the way that Tony does, and no one will share the same strengths that Tony has. And if we put everything up on the big screen that goes on in this church during the average week, from the school to the clubs to the nursery and the cleaning and the outreach ministries and the soul winning and Saturday morning and Wednesday night and each facet of this ministry, literally it would blow your mind. The average church member is ignorant of about 90% of what happens just on a Sunday morning. How many of you ever sat through one of Brother Donald's classes with the teens? All of six of you. How many of you sat through junior church or Miss Stephanie's class or Brother Paul Waters' class, one of these ministries, been to pick up some of these kids or drop them off, and that is a Sunday morning? 
How many of you have ever been early to prayer? There's a cleaning crew here at 7.30 Sunday morning. There's a cleaning crew Saturday night, 10 o'clock. How many of you ever stepped in Saturday night, 7.30 for Spanish church? This building is constantly being used, but it's constantly being used because people's abilities, gifts, and talents are constantly being used. And here's what you need to do. You need to say, God's given me a gift. I need to find a spot. I need to fill a niche. I need to be busy doing the work. Now, look what it says. If the whole body were an eye, verse 17, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. Now, here's what Satan wants you to do. Satan wants to come and tell you a lie so he can hurt and hinder the work of the ministry. And here's how Satan has a negative impact on the church. His lie is this. Work. Do what you want. Do what you can. But really, your work's not that important. If you miss, if you don't do it, if you don't do it well, no one will ever notice. Now, I want you to think about this tonight. How many pieces have to be in place just for us to have a normal service? Literally, a hundred people have to do their job just for this service to be normal. And before we ever step into a, a single service, how many hours of preparation? Now, we're not talking about the lifetime of preparation that Mrs. Simpson has spent learning the piano in order to play the hymns. But we're talking about the hours of preparation that goes into normal service, the yard care. Now, here's what you can do. Do this at home. Go mow a yard and trim it and do the bushes and pick up the garbage, clean up the parking lot, wash the windows of the front door, straighten up the pews, pick up the books, vacuum the auditorium, turn on the lights, make sure the AC is set, clean the bathrooms, stand at the front door, fill out the visitor cards, take the phone calls at the front desk, Walk the visitors back, make sure the kids get into their class, prepare class for three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, junior church. Now that includes a game, that includes a song, that includes keeping the attention of 60 kids with the attention span about this long, and set up the chairs, and put everything in its place, take it all down, clean it all up, that's not including the nursery workers and changing the diapers and then cleaning up the room when you leave and those that translate for us on Sunday morning and put up the benches and taking that all down, the discipleship Wednesday night, the screens and everything else that's involved, the bulletins, getting the information, make sure that's printed and in its place. I can't even take you through what is done here the average Sunday. That's not even including the specials and all the time that's put into choosing the songs. Organizing the group, practices. How many practices does a group have to have just in order to be able to sing one song? And then you practice in the auditorium. You get the microphone set up and the music copy. And that's one service. Now, here's what happens. Satan tells you your job's not important. Well, all he needs to do is convince six or eight of you, and then you've affected the entire environment of the Sunday morning service. Now, I want you to think about this. Let's just say we have 10 pieces that are not in their place. You pick the 10. 
Someone didn't clean the auditorium. So you come in to sit down. There's books. Have you ever seen this place after one service? How would you like to walk in that bathroom just one time and someone didn't clean it? Just one service. Can you imagine that front door? Just one service if we didn't go back there and clean the front door after one service. Walk in one Sunday morning. There's no one there to open the door. No one there to greet you. The AC hasn't been set. So it's 98 degrees. The hall hasn't been cleaned. The pianist isn't in her place. The song leader shows up 10 minutes late. We haven't even reached 10 people yet. And here's what Satan has done. He's honestly convinced you, your song, your spirit, your part of junior church, your class, your discipleship, it doesn't matter. Just show up one Sunday and look at the yard as it's overgrown. Take your kids uh, back to their class one Wednesday night and find out the teachers aren't there. You don't know when they're going to show up. Because they said, I've been back here. I'm not appreciated. No one even notices my work anyways. I don't know if the kids are learning anything. Now, for some reason, too many Christians have bought the lie Whatever I do, because I'm not a pastor, I'm not an apostle, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a teacher. What I do is unimportant. Well, there's only one problem. There's a lot of accumulated hours. And each one in here, if you saw the hours, listen, I don't care what project, and a lot of our projects aren't even seen. The hours that are spent just on our website, the hours that are spent on our radio program, the hours that are spent on editing, the hours that are spent in a million different ways... What if Nate said, you know what, my investment in the teens, it really doesn't make a difference. Why don't you talk personally to the teens about how much of a difference it doesn't make? All those hours, and for some reason, I don't know why this happens, the way we minimize teaching, it's actually on the list with pastors, and we still manage to minimize it. And he gave some pastors and some teachers... Why someone would say, you know what, I hope and pray that God calls me into the ministry because I'm stuck teaching. God has put children at your feet, souls in your care for hours at a time, and you're saying you are with those children more than your pastor is with. Listen, your influence is greater on that child than my influence is on this church. But Satan has convinced you it's a small responsibility that's actually very unimportant. Satan will get Tony to thinking, well, all those hours that you've invested in the prison and how many people have actually come to church, how many lives have you actually changed? The problem is it's hard to measure the intangibles. It's hard to take out a spiritual tape measure or place a value upon a ministry that's lasted for 15 years or 20 years where people come and go, but all the souls, and here's the problem, we don't have patience enough to be faithful until we get to heaven. We simply want to say, right now, what are the results? What are the benefits? What are the rewards? What I'm doing probably doesn't matter. The only problem is 
I'm the pastor of the church and I understand each part and its significance and I see it and there are moments when I rejoice and I say, thank God, everybody's in their place and everybody's doing their job and hallelujah, we'll have Sunday after Sunday where things run smooth. Just listen, just have one person go back there and sit in the sound booth that doesn't know what they're doing. You will have Satan sit on your shoulder and whisper in your ear, all you do. Now, as soon as that lie pops up, don't even let him finish the sentence. All you do is sing in the choir. That's huge impact. How many of you notice how great our adult choir sounded over the past couple months? You know that sets the dynamic for the entire Sunday morning service. But Satan will say, all you do, let's sing. That's normally about two and a half hours of your time between drive time, setting up and practicing, and then additional time on Sunday morning where you come in early. Now, you multiply that times 30 people, two hours, that's 60 hours of effort put into one song. And you want to tell me, after 60 hours of investment, all I do is sing in the choir. You bought the devil's lie. All I need is one Tuesday for the phones not to be answered, the mail not to be opened, the checks not to be sent, the bills not to be paid. All we need is one person gone to pretty much mess up an entire group. When you run a school the way we run it, all we need is one teacher to be gone. And the replacement factor is incredible. How many of you have ever had a knee go out and you said, oh, my body's good, it's just a knee? You know, years ago, Nate slipped with a screwdriver and he put that screwdriver into his eye. And after he punctured his eye, he pulled the screwdriver out and he said, oh, don't worry about it. All it is is the eye. It's nothing. It's just my eyeball. I've got two anyways. Ask Nate about the affliction of that eye. For years, the rest of his body functioned, well, pretty much functions the way it's supposed to function. But that eye, and here's what you say. You minimize, you bought the devil's lie, and you constantly minimize your importance in this church and in the structure of this local church. And guess what? The bottom line is, we cannot function as a church without each person understanding the importance. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to step it up. You're going to excel. You're going to grow. You're going to improve. When you say my job, whether it's sound or music or cleaning or teaching, no matter what it is, it's extremely important. And here's what Satan does. Satan gets the visitor to be there when the failure takes place. The parking spot is not open. The teacher's not prepared. Someone said, you know what? We've got a cleaning crew. It's going to happen. Something didn't get cleaned. Maybe it was a pew they had to sit on. Maybe it was a bathroom they used. Maybe it was a door handle they grabbed. Did you know all it takes is one person to say, it's not very important to me, that visitor grabs the door handle, take his child to the nursery, and something sticky is on it. And you know what they'll do? They'll say, I'm never going to go back to that church because of a sticky door handle. I'm a firm believer in details. You don't want to know why? Because God is a firm believer in details. And as a church body, 
we cause division, we cause strife by minimizing the importance and saying, because you're not a pastor, because you're not a teacher, what you do is really not that important. Guess what? I don't want to run this church without secretaries. We have two very proficient secretaries. I do not want to do my job without those two. I don't want to do it one day. The phone calls we receive and the missionaries and the pastors and the duties and the bills and everything else that goes on. Janet goes down for a week. Sarah goes out for a week. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lock the door and say, I'll see you next week. <laughs> you go talk to those kids from Donald's class when he didn't show up and he says, you know what? What I'm doing, it doesn't matter. You go console those children because Connie or Sarah or one of the helpers say, you know what? What I'm doing is not even making a difference. Every member, although unseen, although that duty in your mind, you say it's not that important. The only problem is this church works off the principle that every person is a functional part of the body and when you don't do your job whether that's a soul winning or that's a prayer that's in the christian school or that's in the office or whether that's with the juniors or the primaries or with the yard work or the maintenance or the microphones when you add all that up all we need is eight or ten to fail and we will have chaos on a sunday morning and here's where the church is affected. Satan doesn't need you to buy his lie for the rest of your Christian life. Satan just needs you to buy his lie once or twice a year. Now think about in a church like this where you have 150 people, each one with a different responsibility, each one with a different obligation. So if each person just listens to that lie, just buys that lie twice a year, that's 300 times that a pastor deals with an absence or a failure. Do this just so you can understand your importance. Go find a hammer, stick out your foot, pull off your sock, pull off your shoe, and hit your big toe as hard as you put. No, you know what? Your big toe is a useful one. Find one of your toes that's not useful and just nail it. That's what you're doing on a spiritual level when you buy a saint's lie and say, hey, listen, all the work that's done out at the college and the maintenance that has to be done and the oversight that has to be done. What happens one day if Joel says, you know what, Liz and I aren't important to this church? Well, there's only one problem. She's a teacher. He does maintenance everywhere from the church to the college to my house. But guess what? 98% of you never have seen or never will see everything that Joel does until he's gone. And then I get a plug in for people to try to replace that. Well, the only problem is you've already got a job. You already have duties. You already have responsibilities. And you're already convinced whatever you're doing, it's not that important. I need us to all get on the same page so that we can function as a church and where we all stop buying Satan's lie and saying, whatever I'm doing, if it's polishing the wood on the platform, if it's cleaning the tile in the auditorium, if it's vacuuming the upper room or putting things in their place 
or setting up the discipleship or cleaning up the fellowship hall or double-checking the bathroom or playing the piano or singing a musical group. Listen, the point is there are literally thousands of hours that have been invested in this work not a hundred hours at a time, but each person saying, whether it's sewing or whether it's music or whether it's clubs or whether it's crafts, I know this is overly simple tonight, but I'm trying to help this ministry and I'm trying to help this pastor and I'm trying to help you to understand that all you can do is harm the church when you buy this satanic lie that says, because I'm not some of those called to be a pastor, or apostle, a preacher, or a teacher, so whatever I do, it's really not that important. Thank God for people who just follow the direction of leading the Holy Spirit. They see a need, they meet a need, they get plugged in, they step up. Listen, you shouldn't have to look for ministry. You should step in somewhere, get plugged in somewhere, and be used of God on some level. Let's read a couple more verses and we'll be done. Galatians chapter 5. Not just the devil's going to lie to you and tell you your job's unimportant. He's going to use you, if you're not careful, as a tool of division, cause strife and disunity in the church. Now listen, folks, there's nothing better than a church that's unified. There's nothing worse than a church full of divisions. Now, regrettably, in every circumstance in life, in every place in life, there's a few troublemakers. There's a few uh, headaches. You shouldn't be one of those. When people think of your name, they shouldn't think of strife causer or troublemaker or a meddler. Don't get involved. All they're going to do is mess with your mind, discourage you, frustrate you, prejudice your thoughts about a person. Usually, here's what happens. Usually someone that's a troublemaker or a strife causer has a personal problem with authority in what they're going to do. Uh, you look at their own life and their own home and it's a disaster because they've undermined their own principles of authority. Here's what the Bible says. When it lists the fruits of the Spirit, before that it lists the fruits of the flesh. What's it say in verse 19, Galatians 5, 19? The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife. Now look at what's in the list. This is a filthy list. Adultery, fornication, idolatry, witchcraft, those are things that we look at and say, I would never commit those sins. Yet in that same listing as a work of the flesh is strife. You know what you ought to say? I'm not going to be used as a tool of the devil. Now, here's how you can be easily used as a tool of the devil. Be a meddler. You know what, folks? It, this society has taught us to meddle. Now we have Facebook. You know what Facebook's about? Meddling. And if you don't meddle, I'm going to help you meddle. Listen, stop asking questions. Stop looking for information. If it's not your life, it doesn't concern you. Stop worrying about what everyone else is doing. Get out of their homes. Get out of their houses. Get out of their lives. Get out of their marriages. Mind your own business. You got enough to worry about sitting around looking at everyone else's business. You have too much time on your hands. You're bored. If you get busy, you wouldn't have time to do that stuff. But we're sitting around causing strife because we're paying too much attention to everyone else's business. That's none of your business. The best thing you can do, simply mind your own business. 
Stop being so easily offended. Stop being offended for everyone else. You know how to live a miserable life. Just live easily offended. Because you're going to have a million reasons to be offended. Stop taking everything so personal. Stop wandering around in life looking for the opportunity to be hurt and to be upset. And they took my place and they looked at me cross-eyed. And did you see the way they treated my kids? When you live offended, you start causing strife, you get a bitter heart, and the next thing you know, you've ruined your own life. You know what you need to do in life? Steer way clear of anybody that's a strife causer. You ought to be a source of unity. We're supposed to be walking in unity. Why in the world would I attack this brother? Would I attack this sister? Would I attack this man? Why in the world would I attack his wife or his children when I know we are one in Christ? So the best thing you can do, listen, don't make snide comments. Sometimes our attempts at humor are so feeble and all they do is cause problems, strife. So if you don't have the gift, don't try to develop the gift. Don't attempt to be humorous. Be silent. Develop the gift of silence. If we're not careful, the church is going to lose its significance because the world looks and there's so much strife and there's so little taking place and each person has minimized their own responsibilities and their own God-given gifts. Why would you minimize a gift that God gave you to edify his body? God gave some pastors, some teachers. And if God's made you a teacher, God bless your soul. Thank God for the gift. And this church is benefited. And if you look around at all the investment that these teachers have made, whatever you're doing, it's extremely important to this church. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.